Amen. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word today and turn to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, as we come to look at God's Word. And, and look, you have noted that there have been all kinds of preparation that we have made even for this initial regathering. I hope you can recognize that as you walked into the building with facilities that we have put extra cleaning into. We've done a lot of work here uh, over the last few weeks. We also have worked on the logistics, as you've seen, uh, through the service itself because we were concerned about certain things. As much as we'd love to hug one another, we know we can't right now. We can't shake hands like we'd like to. We can't, look, sometimes you can't even smile at other people like you'd like to because you got the mask on, right? So, I mean, there have been things that we have done. Now, one of the logistics that we hadn't even thought about until the last few weeks was traffic, especially as the service roads had opened one way in those different directions. And some of you noticed that who were coming. Those of you who will return in a few weeks, you will recognize that, you know, the tar button interchange, which has been undergoing, pro what, uh, the project for some time, as we've been thinking about it, hoping it would open, that we've been looking at that, and then the service roads would turn one way. And this morning, those who came here for the first time, you probably saw one way. And we're trying to get that out. We want to make sure because we were concerned people would go the wrong way. Do you know how many times I have turned to go the wrong way? I mean, I have become so uh, entrenched in the way that I do things, so routine that I would mess up and I would turn and I would want to come back down this service road right in front of the church and I couldn't do it. And then, I, of course, I would have to repent of my sin and drive around all the way. But we'd have to do that. The other day, I was driving on the north side over by Hobby Lobby. I was coming down. And as I was driving, I met somebody, a delivery truck, going the wrong way. I went home and told my family, I said, listen, when you get on that service road, you go in the right lane, stay in the right lane, stay in it all the time. Don't worry. There are hills. People will hurt you. But you know, I think about that as I saw that truck coming toward me. I said, a lot of us can get on the right road from time to time, but it seems like we're going the wrong way. How many of us can identify with that in our spiritual lives as well? Like We feel like we're going the right road. We know what God has called us to do. We're trying to follow what the Lord has said. But sometimes it feels like we've taken the wrong direction. We should be driving the other way instead of driving the way we're going. I say to you, if you've ever felt like that, then that means you're in good company. Because when I look at the biblical characters, I often see people who know what God has called them to do. But sometimes they take the wrong turn. Maybe even drive the wrong direction. I want to show you how Moses, Moses was God's man. There is no doubt. But yet, he makes a wrong turn in his life. We're in Exodus chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 11 first. Remember last week, we saw how God had worked in his life to be able to bring salvation, to bring life, so that, so that he was taken from the land of Goshen and raised in the palace of Pharaoh himself. And now we know that this Moses, he has grown. And God has his purpose and his plan. Look in verse 11. It says, Now it came to pass in those days, when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren, 
and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. Now, when you get into this, and I want to stop there, because when you get into this, you understand at the very forefront that Moses was the right man. He was the right man. This is who God had chosen. You and I need to understand that as we come to it. Like, Moses is the right guy. Don't doubt it. Everything about his life says he was the right guy. He is the right man by birth. He is the right man by his ancestry. In verse 11, hear what it says. It says twice that he was identifying with his brethren. He may have been raised in the palace of Pharaoh, but he knew that he was an Israelite. He knew he was a Hebrew by birth, and he identified with them. They were his people. And he recognized his purpose and his plan for them. As a matter of fact, later on in the New Testament, we see two specific passages that I want to borrow from this morning. Two specific passages that really speak to Moses. Kind of color in this day in his life, this event in his life. Hebrews chapter 11 and then Acts chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 11, for example, verse 24 says this. Remember, Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. And it says, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In other words, he was intentional in his decision. He knew he was a Hebrew. He identified with them. He knew he was the right man. And he made a decision to say, Hey, I'm, I'm not identifying with the Egyptians. I am a Hebrew, and I will... Fulfill my purpose and my plan for the people of God. He identified with his people. And that just makes sense, right? If the Hebrew children are going to be delivered, you would think a Hebrew son would lead them. He was the right man. He was the right man by birth, by ancestry. But he was also the right man by education. I mean, Moses had received quite the education. That second passage in the New Testament that I referred to is Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, it is Stephen as he is standing before the religious leaders and he is giving an Old Testament survey to the people. Remember, he's telling them exactly where they had come from. He was schooling them. He was reminding them of who they were. And as he was talking specifically about Moses, he said this in verse 22 of chapter 7. And Moses was learned in all wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. In other words, when he was taken from the backwoods of Goshen, he was brought into Pharaoh's palace and he began to receive the greatest of educations. The Egyptians were noted for their education. And they had brought Moses in to educate him. And certainly he learned, did he not? He learned a whole lot. I, I'm convinced that as he was taken into the University of Egypt, not sure if that was the name of it then, but the University of Egypt, as he was taken there, he would receive what I call a liberal arts education. Now, liberal arts doesn't mean liberal, right? I went to Blue Mountain College. It was a liberal arts school, and I used to hear people say, when would you go to a liberal school? Blue Mountain College? Let me take you up to Blue Mountain College. Nothing about it. Liberal. It's a liberal arts school, in the sense that it gave a well-rounded education, there were several different studies that you would be required to take. It was a complete complement of courses. And there he is 
in the University of Egypt. And what's he learning? Hieroglyphics, mathematics, astronomy, chemistry, maybe a little bit of rhetoric. He's learning the arts and music. He's learning about military strategy. I'm convinced of that. When you look at the Egyptians, they were top-notch in their school of learning, academics. They remind me a lot of Baylor University. Because Baylor University has great academics, but it's thoroughly pagan, right? Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Do not send me a letter over that. I'm just kidding. I get enough hate mail. Don't need any more, okay? Just kidding. But that is what it is. It was great academically, but it was pagan. But he received a great education. And man, he had charisma. Moses had charisma. Don't miss it. When Stephen was giving that survey, Stephen said that this was a man mighty in words and deeds. Now, when you first look at that, you may be puzzled. I, I was the first time I read that. I thought, Stephen, you must be wrong. Because it is Moses that will give the excuse that he cannot speak as well as he should. He'll talk about how, well, how he stutters and how he stammers and how there's nothing eloquent about his speech. You'll see that. He'll give that excuse to God. But I've always thought he overstated that. Because Stephen says, Stephen says he was powerful in words. I'm convinced that Moses was an inspiring kind of figure. Historians tell us that Pharaoh did not have an heir at this time. And many have proposed that maybe Pharaoh was grooming Moses to take over. A Hebrew on the throne of Egypt? Maybe, maybe not. But I say that he had received this education and he was an inspiring figure. He was mighty in words and he was mighty in deeds. Did you know extra biblical sources tell us that before Moses was 30 years of age, he led a wonderful victorious military campaign for the Egyptians against the Ethiopians. Mighty in words and deeds. He was a man of charisma. Need those kind of guys, don't you? Those kind of women who can lead in that way that have charisma about them. See, when you look at this, I mean, everything just plays out. He is the right guy. He is the right man. He's got the birth. He's got the pedigree. He, he's got... The education, and certainly he has the charisma. And what a story. Can you see how this story would be reported over and over? The one who had been drawn out of the Nile. The one who should have died when he was young. Who was given life and was able to return and to be the deliverer. You can see that story written in the headlines. Because he was the right man. And he always was. Don't doubt that. He was the right man that God saved. And you could write a heroic epic about Moses and how he was the right guy. He also had the right mission. He understood who he was. And he understood the mission that God had called him to. What would Moses do? Moses would deliver the people of Israel. He would deliver them from oppression. He would deliver them out of Egypt. He knew his mission. He was the deliverer. It's inferred in verse 11. Did you see where it says he went out to them? Don't miss that. Don't waste those words. He went out. 
The whole book is going to be about the people of God going out, leaving Egypt, going out as God had given deliverance. Here, even that language infers that Moses knows his purpose, that he went out, and he was intentional when he went out to them. Again, Acts chapter 7, where Stephen is speaking, as he colors in the lines for us a little bit, he says, Now when he, that is Moses, was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. In other words, there was something emotionally drawing him to his people. He could see with emotion. He was moving toward them, and he knew that God had called him, and he had made this decisive he had made this decisive move in his life to visit his brethren on that time, on that day. He knew his purpose. Now, I only came to that realization a few years ago. I'm going to be honest, when I grew up in the church life, you know, I read this story and it was kind of like Moses just happened to go out and he just happened to uh, kill this Egyptian at this point. It just so happened kind of deal and Moses didn't really understand God's will and God's purpose. No, the more I read... And the more I see the New Testament and its reflection on the Old Testament, I recognize Moses knew exactly what he was doing. He knew he was called to be the deliverer. He knew he had a purpose. He knew he had a mission. He even, I'll show you this text in a moment, but he even thought that the people would rally to him. He believed it. He believed he had a mission and purpose. Now, it's great to have a mission and a purpose, isn't it? To know that you have a purpose in life, mission. Hey, just so that uh, it seems like we're communicating a little bit in this room, would you simply say, I have a purpose? Now, I couldn't understand all of it with all that kind of stuff going on with that mask and all. But maybe you in the gathering, you said it a little more clearly. Or maybe they're on live stream. Maybe you said, I have a purpose. I hope you do. Because you, you have a purpose in the Lord. You do. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has a purpose for you in his kingdom. I believe he has a purpose for all those made in his image. But he has a specific purpose for us in his kingdom, those of us who've been saved and have followed him. I'm convinced of it. Hey, at the age of 16, the age of 16, I knew that God was calling me to pastor and preach. I didn't know he had called me to pastor and preach during a pandemic, but I knew I was called to preach and to pastor at the age of 16. It was a revival service that night. The preacher was up there, and I can see him now. And he was preaching away, and he was spitting to about the fourth pew. I'm not sure that's really good these days. But anyway, that's what he was doing. And I remember my heart being moved by the Holy Spirit as though God had spoken to me himself. He said, this is the plan. This is the purpose I have for you. God has a plan and a purpose for you, just as he did Moses. For Moses, it would be to deliver the people of Israel. Now, you and I may hear the general call of God in our life, and he may flesh out the specifics or the details later. That's okay. Because I knew that God had called me to preach. And, Pastor, I didn't know at the time, at the age of 16, how all that would look. I had never heard of Ruston, Louisiana. I know that's alarming to some of you. But Ruston was not spoken of that often in Tupelo, Mississippi. So I didn't know, but God worked his will, his plan. I knew just generally I had a mission and purpose. And Moses had a purpose, and he knew it. What a joy. What a joy to have purpose in life. 
And you got to admire his commitment to the purpose. He respected, or he rejected, I should say, Pharaoh's courts in order to fulfill his mission and his purpose. Hebrews, again, chapter 11, verse 25 through 26, says that as Moses rejected Pharaoh's courts, he chose, rather, to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. I love that passage. He says that he intentionally rejected Pharaoh's courts and the treasures of Egypt because he knew there was something better that God had intended for him. That he could see something that was out there. I love visionary people that can see things out there. I love to surround my pe- myself with those kind of people. He could see something. It wasn't just about Egypt. It wasn't just about him being the prince. Can you imagine? I mean, if he had chosen, and I'm not sure he could have with God's insistence and all of that, but let's say he had chosen to stay right there in Egypt, he might have been a footnote in history. You might have seen him listed on some of the rulers, and that's at best. You might have. But God had something bigger and better. And Moses knew it. And it wasn't just so that Moses' name would be great. And here we are in Ruston, Louisiana, still talking about him today. But it was that the name of his God was great. And that it would be declared. Here Moses gives himself to God's plan. He had chosen persecution over privilege. It's a question for us. When we know God's plan and God's purpose, what are we willing to give up and what are we willing to do to accomplish? Are we willing to set aside those things, those earthly things? They really don't matter. Are we really willing to set them aside and see the eternal perspective? Because that's what I love about it. Moses was living for eternity. He wasn't living just for the temporal. He was the right man. He had the right mission. Man, he was committed But here's where I say he takes the wrong turn. See, he was the right guy. He had the right purpose. Mm. But he starts driving the wrong direction. He takes the wrong turn in his life. And this may be where you and I can really relate to this guy named Moses. So let's look back at chapter 2 and there in verse 12. It says... So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So he goes out, I believe intentionally, to build a relationship with his people. Perhaps to even begin the rebellion with his people. And he sees this Egyptian attacking this Hebrew. And he kills the Egyptian. Well, some could say he's just defending. But notice, it's not as impulsive as you think. It is intentional. He looked this way, and he looked that way. Unfortunately, as someone pointed out, he didn't look that way. He looked around him, but he didn't necessarily look up for the wisdom of God. 
He began to see, is anybody watching? Is anybody going to see me do this? And he killed the Egyptian. Now this is where the open door argument comes in, isn't it? I mean, you would seem like God had given him an open door. This was his moment. This was his time. You hear people like that, well, it was an open door for me. I walked in. And that's great. There have been days in my life where I've said, God, if it's not your will, close the door. I admit to you. Like I've said, God, just slam it shut. But God doesn't always do it exactly the way we think. Sometimes God will leave the door open to see how we will work through this decision and how we will lean upon his wisdom instead of ours. I'm convinced of it. Not every open door, though, is God's opportunity. Did you hear me? Not every open door is God's opportunity for you. As a matter of fact, if you don't consider God's wisdom through it, and you walk through that door, what you might find is an unstable floor on the other side of the threshold. You and I must be wise, and we must seek the Lord. We might ask for His revelation. Go to his word. God teaches. I mean, killing the Egyptian, I'm not convinced that was God's will for his life. Even though it looked like an open door, it might have even set him back 40 years in his mission and his purpose. Sometimes God just says, wait. When we say carpe diem, like seize the day, God says, hold on just a minute. Wait. Wait. I can't stand waiting. I can't stand waiting. Do you know what it's been like over the last few weeks? Trying to figure out what people are going to say? I mean, I don't know in the best of times what government leaders are going to say. No offense. I'm praying for our government leaders, and you and I ought to pray for them every day, no matter if they've got an RDI behind their name. But I'm going to say to you, it's been frustrating. Like, what are they going to do? And they didn't know either because they're just working through it. Because guess what? They haven't been through this either. So we had to wait. We'd wait till that Monday, a press conference. We'll wait till this. I mean, sometimes the press conference would get moved. I'd schedule a staff meeting like it too. And you know what? They'd put the, staff, the press conference off to four. How frustrating. Don't they know they have to align with my timing? You see... We hate to wait. I'm not a guy who likes to wait. I play games all the time. When I leave here on Sunday morning, of course, it's not as busy right now probably, but when I usually leave here on Sunday morning and I start heading on North Trenton, I will make sure that I get into that left lane because the people in that right lane, some of them, they're going to Super 1 and to that shell and all, and they're going to slow me down. I need to make sure I'm in the right lane. When I go into grocery stores, I'll sometimes mark the people. I'll look over there and I'll say, okay, there's that one. He's about two in line. Let's see if my grocery line goes faster than his. Any of you ever do this kind of stuff? Any of you, you going to confess online, some of you on the live stream? I hate to tell you, there are times when we go out of our neighborhood and I see some of our church people and they're in front of me. And they're going to beat me here. And I decide I'm going to take another way. Just see if I can beat them. I do. I do. That's bad. I don't like to wait. But God oftentimes says, you know what? You better wait. 
You better wait on me. But I feel led. I just know this is the mission. Moses, he knew it was his mission. He felt led. Some time ago, one of my deacons down at First Zachary, he, would, he looked at me and he said, Reggie, do you preachers, do you just take a bunch of fishing lead around in your pockets? And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, because every time I turn around, you, you and somebody else, all these other preachers, y'all talking about you feel lead. Are you just feeling that fishing lead in your pocket? Is that what you're feeling like? I said, no, we have convictions. We believe in being led. But you need to be led in the right way. And just because you know this is what God's called you to doesn't mean he's called you to do it right now. He sets up his own timing. And here's Moses. Moses is like, now's the moment. It's the open door. And see, this is the passage I was telling you about. Acts chapter 7, verse 25, against the words of Stephen. Stephen says, For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they did not understand. Did you get that? He thought that he was going to, in some way, instigate a rebellion and that he was the leader. He knew he was. And he thought if he just acted in this time, that they would all follow him. But friends, when you act in your timing, you will miss God's timing. Every time. It's not about your timing. It's about God's timing. What does God want you to do? Yes, you know your purpose, you know your mission, you know your plan, but how about the timing of that? And the decision that you make to honor Him. For example, there are some of you who are in relationships, and some of you, some of you know you should be married. Some of you say, hey, I know the purpose of my life, I'm going to be married. And now I'm fine with people visiting singles groups. I mean, where are you going to find a good Christian brother or sister to marry? It's good to find people in the church. But I say to you, just because you know that you should be married, you, you must be careful. And not rush relationships. Not push relationships. Not get ahead of God in those relationships. Some say, well, I'm so old and I need to get married because my time is slipping. No, 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 no. You still rely on God's timing. Leslie's grandmom, she used to say, it's better to be an old maid than wish you were one. I don't know what that meant, by the way, Leslie, about me. I don't know if she was talking about. Anyway. The ends do not justify the means, Ever. For those of you who say, hey, I know I'm supposed to get that promotion at work. You know you are. You're supposed to be the supervisor. You're supposed to be the one in charge. That's great. But don't push it with unethical behavior. Don't say in yourself, oh, yeah, God wants me to do this so I can doctor my resume just a little bit for this position. No. No. You wait for God to move in his own time. You follow him. And you do what he asks you to do. Be patient. Let him work. Moses, he takes this turn. Starts going the wrong direction. He kills the Egyptian. It's the wrong moment for him to act. And he acts in the wrong method. In the wrong way. This is not how God is going to deliver his people. 
See, what Moses does is he adopts a self-empowered scheme, not a God-empowered plan. When you and I adopt our own self-empowered scheme, we will come up empty. Now, it's tempting because you don't want to wait. And then when you think about Moses, I told you how gifted he was. I mean, he was a talented young man. He had all the right education. He had the birthright. I just told you all that stuff. But see, when you have all that about you, when God has really talented you and gifted you, there is this innate temptation to do it by yourself. To come up with your own schemes. Those are the moments when God says, hey, don't forget me. It's, it's my method that I want you to adopt. Look in those two verses that we have left for today. I want you to look at verse 13, verse 14. It says, And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? And then he said, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian?" So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. He went out the second day. When I read this passage, I'm convinced that he was going out, especially in context of Acts chapter 7, he was going out to be able to start the rebellion. He thought the Hebrew children, he thought they would come to him. He thought this would be the moment of insurrection. Remember, he is the deliverer, and he is. And he's going to be able to deliver the people. So he goes out the second day, and he sees two Hebrews fighting, and he says, hey, why are you fighting? Why would you fight your brother? No, no, no. Why are you doing this? It's almost like, don't you know we need to be gathering our troops? We need to be gathering our armies. We need to get ready to fight the Egyptians. You shouldn't be fighting one another. And then this Hebrew says, who do you think you are? Who you, th you come up here with this Egyptian dress, and you've got that funny little Egyptian haircut. Bro, you've got makeup on, and why do you think I would follow you? Do you think you're some prince? Do you think you're some judge? And Moses faces rejection. It's hard to face rejection, isn't it? Somebody will reject the leadership. When you know, when you just know that God's called you to this and then they reject you. Rejection hurts. But even more than that, what Moses realizes, people know. He might have looked around, but he missed somebody. People know. Or maybe that Hebrew went out. Maybe that Hebrew went out and talked. I don't know. Maybe the grapevine's kind of like the one in Ruston. Everybody knows everybody's business. Somehow they knew. And fear paralyzed him. Now, one of the greatest Bible teachers of our day is a guy named Chuck Swindoll. You've heard me quote him many times because I believe he weds the academic and the practical together as a preacher as no one else I've ever heard. I've always prayed that, God, you would just give me a just a little bit. Don't make me like Swindoll. I never could be. 
let me be Reggie, but let me be Reggie who can fulfill those two kinds of goals in my preaching and teaching. And Chuck Swindoll, he wrote a book on Moses. And when I was reading through it this week, there was one passage that stood out. I want to read it to you. Chuck Swindoll said, Neglecting to seek God's counsel, neglecting to seek God's timing, you step in to handle things. And by and by, you've got a mess on your hands. You're stuck with a corpse, with a shovel in your hands, and a shallow grave at your feet. And he goes on to say, Here's Moses, who couldn't even fulfill the responsibility of burying an Egyptian the right way. Kind of envision almost like the toes of the Egyptian sticking out of the sand. You couldn't eat, you're going to lead the people in your own effort and you can't even bury the corpse. Somebody has discovered you. They have found out. Because when flesh rules in your life, you cannot bury the consequences. It will always come to bear. And here's Moses. The right man with the right mission. Unfortunately, he takes a detour. He's on the right road, but he starts driving the wrong direction. And he acts at the wrong moment with the wrong method. But hold on a moment, because I feel like I need to offer you just a moment of hope. Remember, it is Moses. Oh, yeah. Those of us who have been in church for a while, we heard of Moses. And we know what Moses is going to do. We know he's going to deliver the people. So what happens here is there's a guy that's the right man with the right mission and he makes some wrong choices, but God's not through with him yet. Isn't that awesome? That God says, even though you messed up, I still got a plan for you. Because you always were the right one. You might have been driving the wrong direction for a little while, but I'm going to turn you around. We're told that God takes him over to Midian and he gives him a seminary education in the desert. And he prepares him truly for the mission and the purpose that he has for him. And when he comes back, oh, he'll return. He will return to Egypt and what a return it will be. He will not return in his own power, but he will return in the demonstration of God's power. And when all of this is said and done and the people of God are delivered, it will not just be the name of Moses exalted. Instead, it will be the great God of Israel who will be praised because there is something that occurs that could have never occurred in the own self-effort of Moses. And I say to you that some of us in this place, we might have made a wrong turn. We might even be driving around the wrong road right now or the wrong way at least on this road but I say God can encourage you and God can work in your life he can intervene right now to turn you around move you back where you need to be that's a message for those of us here in this sanctuary for those in that gathering for those who are watching this live stream it is a message of hope I know God has a plan and purpose for us I pray that we would listen for his timing and that we would act 
in his way. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning, and Lord, we thank you. There's so many decisions that come before us. So many plans and purposes you have for us. Lord, we recognize your grace and your blessing. But God, I pray that for those of us that might be on the right general road, but who made a wrong turn, going in the wrong direction, God, I pray that you would convict us and speak to us this morning. Those of us who are here in this sanctuary, those who are there in the gathering, those who are sitting in their living rooms, around their kitchen table, God, I pray that you would speak to right now. and That you would call for us to return and to follow you faithfully. God, when we do, we will give you all glory and praise because we know that your will is so much superior to our will. We thank you, and we pray now that you would guide us and direct us as we follow you. In Jesus' name, 